Well, I'm going to tell you how to, the Word of God says how to be successful as a church. I believe it seems like if we would take this pattern in the New Testament that God would add to the church those are to be saved. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts. The book of Acts is one of my favorite books in the New Testament because it's just it's Acts of the early Christians. It's Christians being led and controlled and used by the Holy Spirit in carrying out the work of God. And Peter has just, they, we've just wit, he's just witnessed the day of Pentecost. And uh, people were confused about what was going on, what was taking place. And, uh, and they said, well, is these, these people drunk? Because they were speaking in tongues and, and uh, different things occurring there, mighty things of God. And he, he went on and said, let me just tell you what's happening here. So he began to explain to them what's happening. And he's saying what's happening is fulfillment of the prophet Joel. And he goes on and he tells about that. And he says, this is the Messiah whom God has sent. And you've crucified him. You've killed him. He's dead. But God has raised him up. And then over in verse uh, 37, and that's just a brief uh, synopsis there. Verse 37, this is what he has to say, Acts chapter 2. It says, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. Or that word could be used, convicted. Convicted. I was looking at this glass uh, back here uh, of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. I grew up in the Presbyterian Church over in Yancey County. And uh, the little church I grew up in, there's, I guess the most ever attended there is 40. But when I saw that, my mind went back to that little church. Because that was in that little church. However, that little church faced east. I'm sure you got lots. I know the Baptisters back there. But, uh, it faced it east. In other words, it would be in this direction. And every Sunday morning, the sun would be shining. Well, you know when the sun was shining. It would be shining through. And it would be just as pretty as these windows are over here lighted up. Now, later on, I'd sat there on Sunday mornings a lot of time, and I'd count the blocks in the ceilings. And the tiles, and I'd check everything out. But it's amazing how being exposed in church and hearing the gospel preached, how eventually God takes his word and convicts or pricks your heart. Now, there's a gentleman preaching called Bert Stiles when I got saved, when I came to the when the Lord called me and I came to him as a sinner. Now, I've never been drunk. I've never committed adultery. I've never done a lot of lying. I'm sure I've lied to my mama and probably lied to my brothers and sisters. And, but I've never been a great sinner at that time. But I felt this pricking, this convicting of the Holy Spirit one night in a revival meeting. And often, I not real often, but occasionally my mom and dad's buried there. But once in a while, I'll go over and I've taken my grandkids and I've taken my children in that little church and I've actually pointed out, I said, right there on that side is where I met the Lord. That's where God called my name and I responded the best I knew how. I just did what the preacher said and the Holy Spirit done the rest, Carol. And that's what, young people, you need to do. As your pastor teaches you the word of God and the, you feel this, this pricking, convicting in your heart, it's time to move. Now, you don't have to be young to do that. And I've met a lot of people. I, I bav, I've baptized people 75 years old that had never been saved. But God moved in their heart. So Peter's saying, look, when 
you pricked in your heart and said to Peter, they were pricked in their heart, the apostle, men and brethren, what do we do? What are we going to do? I'm convicted. Something's taking place. I didn't know what all was happening, taking place in my life at 12 years old, but I knew something God was trying to do. That was a God moment, you know? And so Peter said, this is what you got to do. Look at verse 40, 38. Repent. Now, like I said, I hadn't, I hadn't done a lot of gross sinning, but nevertheless, I was a sinner. I was born a sinner. Like David, shaping in iniquity. I was born a sinner and said, I got to repent. You said, well, I'm, I'm not that bad. But, but what about an attitude? What about an attitude of saying, hey, I can make it in this life without God. I'm doing pretty good. You know, I don't have to have God. I don't, I don't need a crutch like you Christians do, somebody to lean on. I'm self-sufficient. Well, time will tell. End of the story about that. And so he says repent. That means, and you'll see later on in this verse, after they have heard the word, the good news, that's when they repent. So he says repent. You repent of an attitude. That attitude, I don't need God I don't believe in. I don't believe I'll go to hell when I die. I, I don't. I don't. I don't believe that. Well, that's an attitude you need to repent of to be saved. Just as much as if you were committing adultery or if, or if you were doing evil, diabolical acts of sin. And so, he said, "Repent, be baptized." The baptism is evidence of your repentance. And so. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. The word remission there means to be forgiven of your sins. Who forgives sins? The Lord Jesus Christ. Why does the Lord, how and why? Because he paid the sin debt. He went to the cross. He suffered. He became our sacrifice on our behalf. He paid your debt, my debt. And so I, when I heard that message, that's, the gospel is, the gospel is simply is good news. Don't you think it's good news to know that God loves you enough to send Christ to die for you, forgive you of your sins, if you would trust him? Hey, that's great news, isn't it? That's great news. So, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He comes in your life and your heart when you Ask Christ into your heart and your life. Now, there's a lot to learn about the Holy Spirit. Although he's there, he's resident, he might not be prominent. He might, he may, you may be suppressing him. That's, the Holy Spirit is none other than the resurrected spiritual presence of Jesus Christ. You may be suppressing him, oppressing him, hindering him. It's not you get more of him, he gets more of you. Is able to work in and through you. And so here he says, the Holy Spirit, for the promises unto you and to your children, to all that are far off, even as many, and that could be, that's us, far off. Far off when this was written. Far off when Peter was preaching here. Over 2,000 years ago. Well, now it's applying to us today. Even as the Lord our God shall call. God calls. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this un untoward generation. That generation is a generation that just refuses to listen or believe God and his word. Just untoward. They're just untoward toward God. 
Then they that gladly received, look at verse 41, his word, the good news, were baptized, and the same day there were added to them about 3,000 souls. So that's a great harvest there all of a sudden. Now here's how we, I hope, this seems to me like if we apply this early New Testament principle of the early church today, the church will be more successful. Look at verse 42. Continues steadfast. Now remember, there's people outside the church who need to repent, come to Christ, and be a part of the church. So it says, They continue steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. That's the correct teachings of the New Testament or what the apostles were teaching, that they would... Continue not, not just what, what they want to believe, but what thus saith the Lord. And so they continued steadfast. I mean, they're locked in. They're not going to deviate. Folks, you know, there's a lot of things that pulls the church away from its purpose. What is the purpose of the church? When you get saved, what's your purpose? Of course, to join the fellowship of the local church. But we're to join to worship and reverence God and thank Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit leads us. And then we're to serve him, extensions, reaching out different ways. But the church, after you get saved, I mean, when you know what Christ has done for you, does it not make you want to worship him? Lord, you could have let me go to hell. But you called and you allowed that old preacher to preach a message in revival meeting that got my attention and you pricked my heart. I come to you. Glory to God. I worship you for that. You going back lately to the moment of your salvation? Or can you go back? Can you go back and say this I feel is when God arrested my attention and drew me. You know, if you read the Old Testament when God was delivering the people from Israel, He'd have them to set up memorials. Sometimes he told them to take 12 rocks out of the Jordan River, pile them up for a memorial. And when your kids ask, what, Daddy, what's those rocks out there for like that? You tell them. You tell them about it. That's when God led us across the river on dry ground. Amazing act of God. So you need that memorial in your life that you can tell others how God saved you and how he's blessed your life. And so steadfast, you don't deviate. You stay true the best of your understanding to the scriptures, the doctrine of the apostles. And then it says in fellowship. Now, most of the time we think about fellowship, we think, well, we're going to have a meal. We're going to have a fellowship meal. Well, that's part of it. That's not all of it. You're fellowshipping this morning. You're fellowshipping around the gospel. You're fellowshipping around the truth. Now, as believers in Christ, you're fellowshipping with one another in worship, in singing, in praise, in missions. You're fellowshipping. You're, you're inclusive with each other. And then the breaking of the bread. Now, when I grew up, when I grew up in the Presbyterian church, there's more emphasis placed on the Lord's Supper than I noticed after I became a Baptist, the Baptist place. And I tried to change that at Glenwood, and I don't know how y'all do it here. But when I, most of the time in the Presbyterian church that I grew up in, the 
about the whole service was arranged around the Lord's Supper. Well, when I joined the Baptist church, and once a quarter, right at the end of the service, they would do the Lord's Supper. Like, parenthetically, we're going to do this, and that's it. I thought, we're missing something here. You know, it's like, tag this on. Just, you know, let's get this done, and we're supposed to do it quarter. Folks, when we do the Lord's Supper, Jesus said, do this. It's a memorial in remembrance of me. Remember me. Remember my blood. He used the cup. Blood. My blood was spilled on the cross for you. Emmanuel's veins flowed from Emmanuel's veins. Emmanuel means God with us. Flowed from his veins. And this body of mine was broken for you. Do it in remembrance of me. And as often you do it, it doesn't say how many times. You don't have to do it quarterly. You can do it every Sunday if you want to. It's like a lot of things, though. You do stuff out of habit for so long, it becomes meaningless, doesn't it? Sometimes I deliberately won't say the blessing at home, see if anybody catches on. And sometimes I'll say it after we eat. See if anybody noticed that. Because you can get habitually into something and it loses its meaning. Just like coming to church. Well, I just come to, well, I'm supposed to go to church. Amen, you are. Refresh yourself. Lord, I want to go to worship you. I don't want it to be a habit. I, when I say the blessing, I want to truly thank God for this food. And so when we come to the Lord's Supper, all things. You know, he, he didn't say remember my birthday. He didn't say that. He said remember my sacrifice, my body, my blood. Spray, I pray that John, I don't know how you do it. Emphasize when you do the Lord's Supper the significance of it. And then it says, that was the breaking of the bread. Then he says prayers. You pray. You know, I remember when I first started pastoring, people say, all these prayer requests you get, you know, it's hard to filter them and take them all in. You don't write them down, you forget them. And you say, I pray for them. And sometimes I think, I told that person I prayed for them last week and I didn't do it. Yeah? Be a little more self-conscious of what, don't let it be the cliche, I pray. And so, we ought to pray for each other. You ought to pray for your pastor. You ought to pray for the church family. You ought to pray for the needs of others. And then, it, and so, is prayer a part of your life? Prayer is communicating with God, expressing. You know, sometimes I, there's issues I don't know how to pray for. And I just say, Lord, help! I find out David did that, and I feel pretty good about that. David did, and he's a man after God's own heart. And by the way, this verse in the New Testament says that the Holy Spirit, that we groaneth within to pray, that the Holy Spirit actually takes our prayers that we don't know how to formulate with words and he presents them in, in, a, in a right way to the Father. He does. So just, you say, well, I don't know the word. Well, just say, Lord, I don't know what to say. You know, this 90-year-old man is, he's saved, he's a Christian, and, suffering and, and 
He's praying for me to, and I've had people to do this, to let him, Lord, take him home. And I say, Lord, I, I'm just going to ask the Lord's will to be done for you. So it's hard to know exactly sometimes what to pray. But then there are the prayers that we do know. You don't have to pray about coming to church. You don't have to pray about being honest. You don't have to pray about loving your neighbor. There's things you don't have to pray about. That's things you ought to do. And then if you notice over in verses 43 and 46, it talks about miracles. Are you, and, and it also talks about reverence. They had reverence for God. They had reverence and holy awe of God. And so it also talks about miracles that were taking place. He said, through miracles, you saw Jesus doing these things. Are you expecting any kind of miracles today? Any miracles happen today? Yeah, miracles happen today. There are moments, those God moments, that you can't say it's anything but a miracle that God intervened in your life. I got a niece who found out last fall, last October, she had brain cancer. And I mean, it's the bad kind. Too. And we started praying for a miracle. I never heard of it. She ended up at Duke, and now they can take, if you're a candidate, you've got to meet all the criteria. They can take polio virus and inject it into the tumor, which they did, and it's crumbling the tumor in her head. Now, that's a miracle to me. And somebody talks about health care being so expensive. Well, think how many years somebody's been sitting in a laboratory researching. You know? We just don't think sometimes, do we? Somebody's been researching to see if that would work. But that's a miracle to me. I praise God for it. And then he said in verses 43 and 46, it says there was miracles. There was, they were unified in the truth. Uh, fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. All that believed were together, had all things in common. And they even had such desire to be in common, and it's not taught throughout the New Testament. This is one example, though, that they were so concerned about each other, they sold their houses, they sold their cars, they pooled all their money together and says, you know, we love and concern so much for each other, we're going to pull this basically in a communal-type living situation. Now, that's not propagated throughout the New Testament. This is just one incident that takes place. And so... They cared about each other. Now, we care about people. We ought to care about people. But you ought, ought to care about the family of your family first, okay? Now, I, I know churches will go extend themselves to help somebody else, and there will be people from that church come to meet with a need. You know? I'm saying, look, mission start. Jesus gave us... Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the world. Where was Jerusalem when he was talking? Home. You know, there's a, there's a way of doing missions. And if we're not careful, we get lopsided, don't we? So you ought, you ought to care for each other, the needs of each other. And when those are met, and the, if you have a need, you shouldn't be embarrassed to ask the church to help either. And so when that need is met, and you've got money left, time left go a little farther you know enlarge the borders of your tent go out and so they were helping each other and then you see in verse 47 they were praising God they were praising God together they were unified they were working together now it's not about preference folks okay 
It's not about individual preference. It's about what does God want to do collectively through this body of believers. And I want to do my part to make sure God's will is carried out. Well, I don't really like that. Well, maybe 95% of them do. And I'll be honest with you. If you don't like it, if you get to where you just really despise it, find you another church. Simple as that. Find you another church. So it's about working together. You see it here. Great formula for the church. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now there's some people in this community, in this county, ain't going to come to PG Church. You know that? But they will go to Glenwood. They will go to Old Fort. They will go to Grace. But there's plenty of people out there who will come to this church. You know? And so Jesus said the harvest is white. I already told you two-thirds of the county don't go to church. Is that not a harvest white field that needs somebody to glean and pick? So, you know, we have our opportunities. Let's not waste them. God has given us the chance to do that. So watch a good little formula here. Now, it seems to me like if we would do this, they received the word of God, they were truly saved. Not just a church member. They know that they have trusted Jesus as their Savior and he has washed their sins away by his precious blood. You know that? They were truly saved. They were baptized to say, yes, I am saved. Yes, Jesus cleansed me of my sins. And I want to show to the church by baptism and identifying in his death and burial and resurrection. Yes, I want to do that. They continued in the teaching of the word of God, the apostles' doctrine. They had fellowship around the word, around worship. They honored the Lord's Supper as the best they knew how. They pray for each other. They reverence the holy name of God. They see miracles taking place. People being saved. You thought would never be saved. Don't give up. While I was at Glenwood, I can see, I see I've seen people 15 years later that I would go witness to, visit to, back to church. 15 years later, get saved. I kept loving them. I didn't hound them all the time. When I saw them out, I felt the Holy Spirit give me the opportunity to say something I hope would influence them. I would do it. And so you, you, you see God work and you see unity. You'll get more done by working together than you will that you will just wallowing in your own preference. And you'll see souls being saved and you will worship and rejoice in what God it can, will, and is doing. Amen?